Lord, this morning we echo what John the Baptist said, talking about Jesus. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now we long to have more of you. We long for more and more of our lives to be consumed with who you are. God, to see you as the treasure of all treasures, to know you and to know your love as the most important thing in our hearts and lives. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came after us to rescue us, to save us, and that what that means for us now, God, is that we do get to be made more and more into his image. God, you've told us that that's the final plan for those who belong to you and those who know you and love you, that you are conforming us into his image. And so, Lord, this morning we long as we do hear your word, as we hear what you have to say to us, that you would continue your work in us, that you would continue to shape us and mold us according to your plan and for the sake of your son. We love you, God, and we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, guys, good morning. I have an awesome privilege today to... Uh, probably not, honestly, introduce you to Luis Sanchez, um, because most of you probably know him. I would say that many of you probably know him better than I know him. Um, he, because he's, such, he's someone who's so good at um, caring for others, he's so good at entering into people's lives and getting to know them and shepherd them and pour the gospel into them. And so I'm thrilled about two things today. One, I'm thrilled that Luis Sanchez is our youth director here at Palmetto Shores Church. That is an awesome thing because Luis just absolutely not only loves our kids, but if, you, if you've gotten to know Luis and how he leads the program, he's got an awesome vision for our youth ministry. He's got a great plan. He's got, got a great team, and he does a really great job. Uh, but I think the, more than anything, what I love about Luis and the reason I'm thrilled that he is over our youth ministry is he loves the Word of God. Luis is a man who immerses himself daily in the Word of God. Uh, he draws his life from the Word of God. And so this morning, he's going to be preaching to us, and uh, I'm excited because you're going to sense his excitement. You're going to sense the fact that he has uh, allowed God's Word first to transform his heart and his life, and now he is going to be leading us in that same transformation through the Word of God. And so uh, I'm going to pray for him, and then Luis is going to uh, preach to us today uh, and shepherd us through this psalm together. God, I just want to lift up uh, this servant to you. God, Luis, I know his heart. I know all he longs to do today is to magnify Jesus and to serve the people of Jesus and to call all of us to see Jesus and love Jesus and worship Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen him, God, that you would be with him, that the power of your spirit would attend your word this morning through his preaching. God, that we would be drawn into deeper worship, deeper faith, and that we would uh, see our lives transformed by your word. God, we know that that's what your word does. When Jesus prayed for us, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so, God, this morning we humbly submit, uh, not to any man, but we submit to your word because your word is everlasting. And so, God, strengthen Luis, give him grace, and use him in our lives in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church. Today we have a great psalm to study. Um, psalm 101 is a psalm that talks about integrity. 
And the cool thing about integrity is that it's just one of those things that the whole world can agree that is something good, right? If you can test this by going on Google and looking up 10 top things to look for in a boss, right? And integrity will be one of the top things that people are looking for. You can do the same thing and look up the top 10 things to look for in an employee, and you'll find the same thing. Integrity is at the top. And you can do this for your husband, for your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, babysitter, dog sitter, your Uber driver. Integrity is something that we value. And that's what makes this um, psalm really exciting. So the question is, why do we value integrity? And the reason is because we want to be surrounded with people who speak the truth, who are not hypocrites, who are not acting one way when they're in front of us and a different way when they're not. And so we put a lot of value into um, knowing that people are not lying to us. And integrity plays an important part in all of our lives, in our businesses, in our relationships, in our finances, in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, and in the things we do. And so before we start this, it's just for us to be able to have a prayerful heart that is ready for God to speak into our lives about what integrity needs to look like. And so here's something that is a great test on our integrity. Okay, there's a phrase that we use that really challenges us. For some of us, it might stress us. It might give us some kind of anxiety. Um, because depending on who is saying that to you and depending on what you've done, this might really affect you um, in a just really stressful way. Right? When we hear this, we get nervous. We get anxious. And um, I'm pretty sure we all have experienced this. But before I tell you the phrase, I just want you to think about someone that's really important to you in your life, someone whose opinion of you matters a lot. So it could be your spouse, it could be a boss, it could be a coach, it could be a teacher, it could be a coworker, your best friend, right? Someone who really, really matters to you, right? And so how do you feel when you hear this phrase? We need to talk, right? You get a text that says that and your whole day is just kind of ruined. Like it just messes you up. It brings us into this place of just, we just get tight and we get anxious. Um, because even if we have done nothing wrong, we kind of start making scenarios in our head. Is there something I didn't do that I was supposed to do? Is there something that I did do that I wasn't? Right, is the reason why if you get pulled aside at the airport, you start thinking about maybe there is a two gallon water bottle in my bag, right? Even though you know there is not. It's a phrase that really just kind of flips our day and our emotions, right? It makes us ask the question, what did I do wrong? This phrase never means, hey, let's go out for lunch. Let's meet up, right? When someone says this phrase, they mean business. Something is going on. And so when someone asks us that question, it kind of puts our integrity at stake. There is something going on that we did that might be wrong, right? And that's why it makes us stop. And in this psalm, David is going to talk about integrity in his own personal life and also in the people that are closest to him and the people that are around him in his kingdom. So I want us to do the same, to take this psalm and think about those that are closest to us, those that are around us, and most importantly, how we lead our lives, which might be the hardest of all. Um, I'm excited because David is going to get honest with us. And so, yeah, we, we get nervous when we hear the phrase, we need to talk. It makes us think about all the things, all the ways we might have failed, even if we're not sure what it is. But what happens when the one saying this to us is God? What happens when it's God that says we need to talk? 
how do we deal with that? This all-knowing, holy, and perfect God comes to us and says, we need to talk. And so we're going to read the psalm and try to figure that out. And so for our first point, we need to talk about how we walk in life. We have verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read them. It says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. So first, we need to talk about David and his singing. At this point, we felt like we've read this 101 times, right? David kind of always starts with singing, and I want to sing, right? So like, what, what's up with us singing over and over and over um, to God? And the important thing we need to notice is that David is singing about two specific things about God, his steadfast love and his justice, right? Morgan kind of gave us an idea last week about his steadfast love. His love never changes. It never stops. It never pauses. It does not dwindle. It does not change according to our behavior. It's steadfast, right? But then we have his justice, which means two things. First thing, God is fair. So every decree, every judgment that God makes is fair, right? And the reason why that is the second reason, he is a perfect judge. He's not a judge who's trying to figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth. It's not a judge that we can trick with, you know, some kind of um, excuse or anything. He's a perfect judge because he knows everything about every single one of us, right? So that might make us feel nervous about our integrity because God knows everything about us. But David brings us to his love. And that's the beauty of this first verse is that we have God's justice, but David immediately pushes us to his love. And how when we read this psalm, we might feel all of our failures, our mistakes, all of the things we do that are not from a place of integrity. But David wants us to know that God's love for us does not change. And so it's important for us to have that in our hearts um, prepared as we read this psalm. And um, one of the things that I think about is, you know, um, theme songs for TV shows, right? It's how we can watch a TV show that has 10, 15, 20 seasons and the theme song never, never changes, right? The reason it never changes is because the characters, the main idea of the show does not change either, right? So maybe they, some characters come and go, maybe the situations are different, but the reason of the show remains the same. And so we can sing this same theme song over and over again because it's not going to change. So when we're talking about God, we can sing about his love and his justice today and in 100 years, and it can be the same song, and it will remain true because God never changes. And that's the beauty of this verse. David calls us to sing about a God that does not change. We can sing it over and over again. And David wakes up every single day of his life with this theme song about God in his heart and in his mind because he knows that God has steadfast love and justice. And so God, or David walks knowing that God never changes. But then we get into verse 2, where David says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. So the easiest way for us to break down this verse is just to get the words one, kind of the, divide the, the verse. Well, we start with the word ponder which means to think, to consider, to plan. And then we ha have the, the word or the phrase the way, which 
It just means how to, right? So David is saying, I will consider, I would think, I will plan how to be blameless, how to be holy, perfect, above reproach. And so this is where integrity really can get tested about the way our lives is, if it's blameless or not. And what David is saying is the blameless life doesn't just happen, right? We need to plan to be blameless. Because we know that being sinful and being influenced to sin is easy, but being godly, it's so hard, right? It's really hard. And so it doesn't just happen. We don't ponder about sin. We sin every day. We don't start our day thinking about how, the ways we're going to sin. We sin, right? But when it comes to blamelessness, we have to prepare. It doesn't just come to us. We have to consider how to be blameless, right? If you plan to read your Bible at 5 a.m., you know you have to set your alarm. You have to go to bed a little bit earlier. You have to just kind of make the goal that you're going to get out of bed, right? But we also know how easy it is to just shut the alarm off, close our eyes, and sleep, right? and not get up, right? We know how easy that is and how hard it can get to get up and spend that time with God. And so we need to consider that way that is blameless. We need to plan in our lives how to be blameless. We can't fall into the trap that believing that this is just something that will happen in our lives. Because the, re the truth is, is that our life looks like this. We take this verse and we fill in the blank with something else, right? I will ponder on the way that is successful. Or I will ponder on the way that makes me rich. I will ponder on the way that is comfortable or the way that is easy, the way that satisfies me. I'll ponder on the way that makes the world love me. Or I will ponder on the way that requires the minimum to please God. Right? And so we fill our lives with these things that are worthless. And we're pondering about the things that don't really matter. But David goes deeper. Right? He points us to the integrity of our hearts, not just in front of others, but in our homes. Right? The secret place um, where we can be ourselves, we can be most comfortable being ourselves. Right? This is the place where it really matters. This is where we can spend time with God that is true and real, and we can spend time reading his word, and we can get down on our knees and praise in, the, in our secret room, right? like Jesus called us to. But this is also the place where we can do things against God that only you and God know about, right? Because we can say to the world, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but then we go home and our lives look completely different. So it's a place where our integrity is at stake, right? Because no one knows it except you and God. So we need to seek the integrity of our hearts in our homes before we go out into the world. Our life at home needs to be filled with integrity of the heart. And then we have verse 3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So every time that David says the words, I will or I will not, he's making a statement about his integrity. This is something that I do or I do not do. Right? And so in this verse, he says, I am not someone who is going to put his eyes on anything that is worthless. Right? Meaning that it has no purpose. It has no return. We get nothing from it. Right, so what about us? Can we make this same statement? Is this something about our lives? Can we say in our lives this statement of integrity, I will not put my eyes on anything that is worthless, anything that the world has to offer, I will not 
even give a glimpse, right? And there's so much worthless stuff <laughs> the world has to give. I don't know if you get this, but every Sunday I get a notification on my phone telling me how many hours I spent on my phone. It's usually around five to six hours every day. There has not been a single time where I've been happy about that. There has not a single time where I have looked at that, not looked at that with disgust, just being how did I spend 36 hours of my week on my phone doing nothing, right? What would it look like if we got a notification saying how much time we spent on worthless things in our entire life, not just our phone? What would that look like? I don't think it would be pretty, right? And the thing is that we all, there's something that we all have in common. We are all really busy, right? We all have a lot going on. Our schedules are full, right? And I understand that that is true. That's something about our, who we are, our society. But here's what I want you to understand about what David is saying. I don't think that any single one of us is busier than David was, right? David got this kingdom that Paul or Saul had just put in chaos, Right, he was trying to bring all the tribe of Israel together. He was fighting enemies from other lands. He was figuring out his family. He was destroying idols. He was busy, right? He was very busy, busier than any of us, right? But what David is saying here is, I am so busy with God's work that I don't have time for things that are worthless. I'm so busy doing the things that God is calling me to do that I don't have time for anything else. Right? And we might say, I am so busy with worthless things that I don't have time for God. And we fall into this trap of just making ourselves busy. But we need to ask ourselves, what are we busy with? Because the problem becomes when we become prideful of our busyness. We get prideful about it, right? We've taken busyness to mean that we are just successful, that we know what we're doing, that we're important, that we're popular. And so we take this. And saying, I don't have time for God. I am busy. And then we are proud of that. And that is a big, big problem. David is saying, I'm not going to do anything that doesn't make, help me grow closer to God or it doesn't help others grow closer to God. And I think that's a great way to measure how busy, what we're doing with, what our busyness looks like. Is what I'm doing helping me grow closer to God or helping others grow closer to God? And if the answer is no, for any of those two questions, then we know that we might be filling our schedules with things that are worthless. But we need to be determined, right? It doesn't just happen. We need to say, we need to make our lives be people that say, I will not set my eyes on anything worthless. Verse, four's, uh, verse 4, he says, A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Right? Because what the world is doing is that the wicked are doing a great job at making the devil look like God and making God look like the devil. Right? They're twisting things around. The God's word has been twisted. That's what the word perverse means. It means to twist the truth. Right? So we are unthankful and we're impatient with God. Right? And the devil's loving it. Right? And he will keep convincing us of that. Right? He makes this plan to make us believe that we can be free from sin without the gospel, without the Bible, without church, without preaching, and without God. And we all want this. We all want to be free from sin, right? But we don't want to do it through God's word sometime. Instead, we want to be free from God's word because it's a lot easier to live a life of integrity when it's our truth instead of God's truth. 
And it's tempting for us to have no God and follow our desires, to be free from God's word. And so we don't want to have that idea that we can be people that can twist God's word for our own truth. In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus brings up this question. He's talking about, you know, um, the widow was constantly praying or asking the judge to um, help her, right? And just making the statement about how her faith of always continuing praying is what helped her, right? But Jesus says in verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Will he find faith on earth? And I pray that Jesus can find us to be faithful and people that live lives that are blameless. But as we continue with our second point, we need to talk about those who walk with us. In verse 5, we read, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not injure. Right? And David acknowledges something that is inevitable, inevitable for each one of us. We will have to deal with both people that are faithful and people that are wicked. Right? We will have to deal with the people of God and the people of the world. Right? Just as the sun and the rain falls on both, we ourselves have to deal with both. Right? And so... David knew something, though. His kingdom could not be filled with people who were slanderers or gossipers. And at this point, he's talking about his staff, his government staff, those closest to him. And he knew that if that happened, his whole thing would fall, right? It would not be able to stand. So he commits to destroy anyone who acts like this. So the question is, wouldn't wouldn't it be wise for us to do the same? Because whenever we are in a team, whenever we lead or whenever someone leads us, there's people around us that might be talking about us or might be doing things against us, right? What does that look like? What is a slanderer? A slanderer is someone who says something about someone or accuses someone of something without even knowing if it's true or not, right? And I cannot think of anything that is more wasteful than doing something like that, right? Can you imagine if we had access to people's thoughts about us? Like maybe they had like something on their forehead, like a screen that tells us what they think about us, what they've said about us. Wouldn't it be so easy to surround ourselves with people of integrity, making sure that the people around us were real with us and true with us? And we know it's not, which makes it really hard to surround ourselves with people that would not go behind our backs and say all kinds of things. Because the way the slanderer and the gossiper works is in secret, right? They work in the secret. And I think it's a place where Christians really, we really, really struggle with. Because we use our words to accuse people, to talk about people, to bring them down rather than building people up. This is a manner where we we look very much like the world. And it's a big problem because if we're gonna practice integrity, we can't be two different people, right? We can't be nice and Christian-y to someone when they're face-to-face and when they turn their back, we're saying things about them that we don't even know is true or we're just bringing them down and pointing fingers at them. David hates, that, hates this, God hates it, and we should hate it too. And it is such a big problem that if we decided to remove it out of our lives, Today at lunch, we might have nothing to talk about, right? 
It's such a big problem that it's such a normal part of our day. And I was surprised at first. Why does David bring this, this up? It's like, why is some, this something that really matters to him? But it makes so much sense. Who wants to be surrounded by two-faced people? None of us do. And we have Proverbs 20, verse 19, um, talks about gossip. And it says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. And then we have James in the New Testament speaking very strongly against it. In chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So there is a big danger to gossip. Gossip is the opposite of the gospel. See, Jesus knew everything about everyone around him. If there's anyone who had the right to gossip, it was Jesus. And he never did. He approached people and asked them questions and let them speak to him. And he shared grace, right? It's the opposite of the gospel because we tear people down and the gospel builds people up. It makes us more when we gossip and the gospel has called us to be less. And we never look less like Jesus than when we gossip. It's a big, big problem, right? And maybe we have agreed with everything that has been said so far. And at this point, we're talking about gossip. We just think we can't do it. We can't not gossip, right? The, babe, the, the, the devil has made us believe that it's just part of life. But I'm here to tell you that it's not. Because if we think about what it achieves, David says here, it achieves a haughty look and an arrogant heart. It builds up pride in us, right? The only reason we gossip is to feel better about ourselves, and everyone wants to be better than the person next to them, right? It's just natural to us. It's our sinful nature. So we slander and we gossip and we take the attention away from us and we point it at someone else, freeing us from any type of critique or conflict. So it produces pride. It produces arrogance in our lives. It makes us believe that we're better than we are, which render us, makes us very hard for us to receive God's grace. So when I say that we never look less like Christ than when we gossip, I refer to this, that the angels and the devil started warring heaven because they had a haughty look and an arrogant heart, and they became prideful, and they believed that they were better than the rest. So we can see we never look less like Christ and more than the devil than when we gossip and we bring people down. So it's something that we need to just destroy, like David promises here, to destroy in our lives, in our circles, in our families, in our churches. We need to be people of the gospel, and we need to build people up, not bring them down to gossip. And so let's keep moving to our third point. We need to talk about those that walk around us. So we have verses 6, 7, and 8. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell, shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting up all the evil doers. So David knew that in his kingdom, he needed to be surrounded by godly people. Right, the faithful in the land, as he calls them. Those that were willing to do the work in a godly way. But he also promises to cast out and destroy the wicked, right? Those of the world, those who practice evil. And you can see how 
serious David was about this. If you go to the book of First Chronicles, verse, or chapters 22 to 26, are a description of all the plans, detail by detail, of how David wanted God to be worshipped. Right? He made the plans on how to build the temple so that his son Solomon could go and build it exactly as it was needed. He also wrote down the services and how the order of everything needed to go. He then picked the priest and made sure they were all spread out through Israel so everyone had access to that. He also picked the musicians and the instruments, right? Even the doorkeepers. Like David really cared about making sure that God could be worshipped. Not only that, those who idolized other gods, David made sure to make life impossible to them. So we need to ask ourselves a question. Do we make a way for the faithful ones or do we get in the way of the things of God? Because not only did David fight evil, but he gave freedom to those who wanted to serve God. And our hearts need to be like David. He spent his time, his energy, his resources making sure on helping the people of God to thrive in his kingdom, right? Here's how we build the temple, and we're going to get the best wood, the best materials, right? Here's how we're going to get all the priests, make sure they're godly people, make sure they have shelter and food, and they're protected, and they have everything they need. Here we go, musicians, here are the best instruments. In case you don't have any music, here's 150 psalms, so you guys can sing about that, right? Here's like, he gave them everything, right? And even the doorkeepers were cared for. And so if you were a faithful person in David's kingdom, you would thrive. And if you were not a faithful person, you would be in danger. So do we do the same? Do we help the faithful people around us be enabled to share Jesus and worship God? Do we make it easier for godly people to do godly things? Or do we get in the way? Because we can make it very easy for the wicked and for the world to do its thing. And then when we have people of God trying to do God things, we get in the way and we make it harder for them. So we have to ask ourselves if our lives are making it easier for God to be worshipped. Are our families surrounded by people that can build them up? And I'm not talking about their careers or their college or their sports or whatever. I'm talking about their godly lives. Are our families surrounded by people like this? Are our businesses filled with people that want to work but want to do it in a godly way with integrity? Are our marriages based on the example of Christ in the church and glorifying him? Or do we give in and let the world come in as they please to our lives and they take away our hope and they take away our peace, our identities, our relationships, and our resources and use it in whatever way they want while that godliness in our lives gets to sit in the corner of the street asking for the crumbs. It's not just about not being in the way. Every believer needs to make a way to clear up their lives so that those who are faithful around them can be built up, encouraged, allowed to do their jobs, not gossiped about, about or backstabbed or criticized, but receiving prayer and grace we need to talk about this because it's a problem when our churches are jumping hurdles to lead others to the gospel while the world is given a red carpet to do whatever they please. You can test this by calling your friends and ask them to come watch the football game and then call the same friends and call them and ask them to start a Bible study and see which one is easier, right? And it's a big problem that we have 
we talk about there no being prayers in our schools, but our homes are silent, right? We talk about an economic collapse when we're not good stewards of our possessions, right? And so what are we doing? Are we living lives that help others around us see how to love God and also helping those around us that love God be able to go out to the world and teach those that don't know him about who he is? Let's not switch the glory of God for the glory of the world. We need to, be make, we need to make it easier for God to be worshipped. The world is not going to do us a favor. It's something that we need to commit to do. And as our application, and to finish up, um, we need to talk about Jesus, all right? And I believe there's two things that you probably have going on in your minds, right? If you read about the life of David, you know that David did not keep up with this. You know that David was not living this out his entire life. And the other thing is that we might not be doing that as well, right? But here's just talking about David. Here's a summary of some of the things that happened in his reign, right? He committed adultery, he murdered, and he sinned against God, right? He was not a great dad. His sons were all over the place. His son Amnon defiled his sister Tamar. And after that, his other son, Absalom, came and killed Amnon, right? Later, this same Absalom came, and he kicked David out of the throne and exiled him into the caves. So David calls his commander of the army, Joab, and tells him, all right, go fix this. Don't kill my son. Don't kill Absalom. Just capture him and bring him. Joab says, David, okay, I'll do that. But his integrity doesn't go all the way, and he actually ends up killing Absalom, right? David forgives him and just trusts that it was a mistake. But later on, this same Joab goes and kills two of David's most valued advisors, right? And so then we have, also we have his secretary, Ahithophel, who convinced the whole tribes of Israel to betray David, right? So we can see that David had people around him who did not live with integrity, but David himself, there's a point in his kingdom where all of Israel had a plague because of his disobedience, right? So what can we say about David's kingdom? Should we praise his kingdom? I'm going to stand here and say, David does not need my help or my advice, right? He's David, and he's someone who understood God's grace, right? In Acts chapter 13, verse 22 Paul says this about David. After removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So this same David, God thinks so highly of him that he calls him a man after his own heart. Not only that, God's son was born through David's seed, right? a big deal. And so instead of falling into the trap of calling God a liar, what if it is true that this God considered this kingdom of David the highest, the most dearest, and the best kingdom that has existed? If I had to explain it, I believe David suffered all of these misfortunes because of how bad he wanted to live a godless life. 
and he tried and he tried and he failed, but he repented and he stopped his sin and he believed in God's steadfast love and his justice. The, re the reality is that for anyone that wants to live a godless life, the devil will be there right next to them, tempting them and trying to bring that down. The second thought, it has to do with us, right? We can't keep up with this life of godliness. We constantly sin. We constantly fail. We gossip. Um, we make a way for evil. We get in the way of God. We, re we repent, but we quickly return to our sin like dogs to their vomit, right? We wish, we all wish we had perfect integrity. And we might try our hardest and we fail. All right, how do, how do we take this psalm and actually live it out? But this is the exciting part, right? We need to talk about Jesus. The Greek word for integrity, alethes, has can be used in five different ways. It can mean truth, genuinely um, reliable. It can mean trustworthy and valid. And Jesus exemplified every single one of these attributes perfectly, right? Jesus is true. There's nothing false about Jesus, right? The Bible calls John the Baptist the witness to the light, but it's not called the light. Jesus was called the true light, right? Jesus is true, and Jesus is also genuine. Everything that Jesus did on earth, he did it genuinely. When he loves, when he had compassion, when he had patience, he did it genuinely, but not only that, Jesus is genuinely the Son of God, Jesus is reliable, right? When we talk about the media and the press, what matters is their source. That's where they get their reliability. The source that Jesus had in his life was God. So everything that Jesus said was reliable. We have John 8:26. Jesus says, I have much to say about your judgment, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. God was Jesus' source, and that made him reliable. Jesus is trustworthy. Has Jesus ever failed us? Of course not. We can trust him because he is trustworthy. And Jesus is valid. Jesus is God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible repeatedly proves it and believes it that Jesus is God. Jesus is valid. His integrity is perfect. So when we fall in our integrity, when we fail, it guilts us, it shames us, it puts us in a place where we want to hide from Jesus. Right? We sing songs asking to be more like Jesus, but we know that we won't be able to achieve that on this side of glory. And so if this is the place where you find yourself right now, when you think about your life, your integrity, and you feel that shame, you feel that guilt, you can recognize that your integrity has failed. Hallelujah. That's exactly where we want to be. Because the more like Jesus we become, the less like Jesus we will feel. Okay? The evidence of our sin and our integrity clearly lets us know that we are not like Jesus. But the beauty is that the less we feel like Jesus, the more the power of his grace is in our lives. And that is the beauty of being in this place. We can sing, 
Even if we have a list of his sakes, we can sing about his steadfast love right now. He's our hope. His integrity is perfect. That's why when we read the Gospels and he says that if you're tired, he will give you rest, we know it's true. When he says that if you're thirsty, he will give you to drink, it is true. It's why when he calls us out of the boat and tells us that we will walk on water, we can believe that it's true, right? When he says he loves us, it's true. When he says that he came to bring light to darkness, it's true. When Jesus tells us that we can resist temptation, it's true. He means it. He will sustain us. He will protect us. And when he said that he was going to go to the cross to die for our sins, it was true. And then when he said that he was going to resurrect on the third day from the tomb and defeat death, it was true. And today we get to live in his promise that one day he will return robed in majesty and glory and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We can believe that it's true. And that is the beauty of Jesus' integrity. So come to Jesus. His steadfast love is everlasting. We have the story of the prodigal son. And when he returns to his father, knowing that he betrayed him, he says, Father, I'm not, I don't consider myself worthy of being called your son. Treat me as your servant. But the integrity of the father is like, no, you are my son. Welcome home. It's the same thing with Jesus. His integrity makes it impossible for him to deny his son and his daughters. And so he calls us home to receive his grace, to live a life of integrity, to walk with integrity, to love with integrity, to speak with integrity and glorify Jesus in everything we do. Because here's the thing. When Jesus comes to you and he says, we need to talk, he doesn't do it to condemn us, to guilt us, or to shame us. He's doing it to bring us home. And to let us experience that grace and the peace that only he can bring. So a life of godliness is a life that we get to do with Jesus. We don't get to do it. We don't do it alone. We do it with him. And he gives us his steadfast love and his justice. And we sing about it every day of our life. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you because we get to sing about who you are. And we get to just say you are so good your steadfast love your justice are things that we are joyful about and we just want to thank you because even though you see everything we do everything we think everything we say you love us and you open a way for us to receive that grace and peace that can only come from you and so as we consider our lives and we think about how integrity can sometimes point us to ways we fail. We want to look at your integrity, Jesus, and how all the things that you did here on earth, all the things you do now in heaven, sitting on your throne, they're true, they're reliable, they're genuine, they're trustworthy, and they're valid. So we want to just take time to worship you, to praise you, Lord, and to just pray that you can help our hearts receive your grace, Lord. Let us be people will live blameless lives, Lord, and glorify you in everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen.